0: Hey, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Woodstock City Church podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to download the Woodstock City Church app where you can access all of our recent message content as well as find out about what's going on around Woodstock City Church. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. So uh, this past week, last weekend, I think it was last weekend, me and my family, we decided to put up our Christmas tree. And uh, I used to be the guy, and maybe this is you, I used to be the staunch defender that you don't do anything Christmas until after Thanksgiving. That used to be me. Yeah, all right, I see, but I don't agree anymore. Um, (laughs) I had a revelation. The Lord changed my heart. Um, I, I I had this thought, I'm kidding about the revelation part, but I had this thought last year. I was like, you know what? Nah, first off, it's way too much work just for four weeks of enjoyment. You know what I mean? I don't need a letter from HOA saying, take your high school lights down, it's January 15th. Um, so I want to enjoy it longer. That's never happened. But also, I had this thought. I was like, look, no, 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 the Christmas season starts in November. There just happens to be this incredible meal called Thanksgiving right in the middle of it. There's nothing wrong with that, right? So that's kind of the way that I operate. You, you, is that a fist? Okay, cool. Thanks. Appreciate it. I wasn't sure what that was, but I like it. Um, and so we thought, okay, so, that's, so again, whatever you, we, we decided we're putting up our tree and, and we, we do all of our things. And so um, we have two, two young kids, a third on the way, but uh, uh, Harper is three, Samantha's one and a half. So she, she doesn't really know what's going on. She's just along for the ride. But Harper now is getting to the age where she can understand Christmas and decorations and we're so excited about Christmas. And so all week we're like, hey, this weekend, Harper, we're putting up the Christmas tree. And she's so excited. Her excitement's getting me excited. I'm like, I've never been so excited to put up the Christmas tree in my life. Right. And, uh, and so uh, we, we, this is Saturday or Friday. I can't remember remember we i went up into the attic and got the tree yes we do a fake tree i'm not getting into that conversation okay <laughs> It's fine for now, trees are trees. Uh, half the room judged me, half the room is with me, but it is what it is. So I get the tree down from the attic and I, I bring it down into the living room and I'm unboxing it and it's three big pieces and Harper's helping me put it together, you know, and it's pre-lit and so, you know, you, you, you put it all together and you, you connect all the three pieces of the tree together and then you plug it into the wall and I mean, I'm so excited, she's so excited, I can't believe this moment is here. She's playing it up, I'm playing it up and I look and I'm like, all right, Harper, you ready? Here we go, we're gonna light this thing up one, two, three, and I plug it in to that. (laughs) And I immediately, I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. In that moment, I'm done. I have lost it. I'm like, babe, who bought this tree? She was like, you did, right? Like I'm just I'm and I am so upset. I'm I'm flustered. I've immediately grabbed my laptop and I immediately start, okay, we need a new tree. Gotta buy a new tree. Didn't think I was gonna have to spend money on a new tree this year. Why are fake trees so expensive? You know? And so I'm I'm on Michaels.com, Hobby Lobby.com, Home Depot, Amazon, anywhere where I can think about where I can get a tree. But then it's kind of stressful. There are so many fake Christmas trees. Do I want pine cones on it? I don't know, little cherries, do I want it flocked? I don't know. And there's different types of fake pine. Like I don't understand. So I'm in the midst of all of this craziness, immediately just shut down. And then Harper, my little three-year-old just comes up. She says, well, dad, it's okay. We can just decorate this one. And I look at her and I'm like, no, we can't. <laughs> Cause then we got to take the ornaments off. And Harper, you don't understand. Like this tree's not the one that stands. So we can put the ornaments on and off and then get the new tree. I'm like, look, we'll do this later. I'm really starting to disappoint you. So I'm just lost in the depths of the internet trying to decide behind about what tree we're going to buy. And about 25, 30 minutes later, you know, I'm kind of like in this own world, in this zone. And I look up and Harper did exactly that. She decorated the tree. Notice she got about as high as she could. She was so proud. And as I was snapping the picture for a second, I got out of this just annoyance, frustration, disappointment. The things didn't go the way they want to go. And I'm snapping this picture and I'm just thinking... Man, that's how I always respond to moments like that. When I'm frustrated, disappointed, when my expectations are not met, I get into this zone. And as, as I snap this picture, I just thought, I wish sometimes in the midst of all of that, I could just choose to see the good just like Harper did. Because that's me all the time in those moments. For some of you, That's you all of the time, but certainly that's all of us, some of the time. Disappointment, unmet expectation, frustration, things not going the way that you want them to go, you're discouraged by a situation, something's just frustrating you, why can't that just get better? Why is that the way that things are? I wish it were different. That's just life, right? But isn't it so true that something about the holiday season just makes us more keenly aware of the things that we're disappointed about? Something about the holiday season just makes us more keenly aware of the things we're frustrated by. It makes us more aware of, of what we are without. It makes us more aware of the things that we wish we had and the things that we don't have. It makes us a little bit more aware of how we wish our life was different. I don't know what it is about these last two months of the year. I don't know if it's the culmination of the 10 months, but something about this season just makes this conversation so relevant. I mean, a season in and of itself, right? It's, 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 it's stressful, There's a lot going on. You're going and you're going and you're going and you're busy, you're getting the house ready, you got people coming over, that's one level of stress. Maybe you're going to somebody's house, that's a different level of stress. You're managing the expectations of people. You don't wanna disappoint anybody. You don't wanna make anybody angry. You want family to be happy. And so in that is a tension and in that is a frustration and you're kind of looking at the craziness. You're looking at something you gotta navigate, something you gotta deal with. You're like, I wish I didn't have to deal with this. It's just stressful. Isn't it so true that comparison this time of year just runs rampant. We're never more aware of what we don't have, I think, than during the Christmas season. You're on Facebook. I can't believe they bought their kid that. (laughs) And what you're really thinking, I wish I did. I wish I had. I wish I could. We're looking at what everybody else is doing and we're comparing ourselves we're comparing their highlight reel to our seemingly mundane everyday life, everyday life wondering why their life seems better why we can't have what they have why our family can't be as healthy as what their healthy family seems to look like we're comparing left and right it's draining it's kind of soul-sucking too for being honest Family tensions, it's just a real thing all the time, but especially again, this season, you're getting a lot of people together. And so there's some family drama. There's some things you gotta deal with. You wish your family wasn't dealing with it. You're like, man, I, why can't we be like that family? Why can't we be like my friend's family? I wish we didn't have this situation. In fact, if you're just being honest, don't elbow, don't raise your hand. But some of you are already thinking about, oh, I have to spend a dinner with him or her. And it's already getting to you, right? Right? You're gonna pull into the driveway and be like, okay, Jim, you can do this. And I just said Jim. So if there's a Jim in here, you can do this, okay? It's <laughs> just tough. Family's hard. And so you're thinking about all the things that you wish were different. And then isn't it so true that this season also tends to be just a harsh reminder of all the things that you're without? In fact, we being really honest for just a second. For some of you, you're never more keenly aware of your relationship status that you wish was different during this season. It's like, okay, yeah, I'm single and I'm figuring things out and it's not that huge of a deal and I don't like it. But then you get into this season and it just feels worse, frustrated, discouraged, disappointed. This is not how this was supposed to play out. And for some of you, it's the first holiday season without someone. And that's hard, it's difficult. You wish it were different. You wish it weren't true. And all of this, the culmination of all of it, no matter where you find yourself, no matter what you relate to, isn't it so true whether you wanna admit it or not? It just affects us. It affects us. For some of us, it affects us and we don't even realize it until we kind of hit a tipping point where we've just kind of lost it. But it's unsettling on the inside, isn't it? In fact, maybe you've even found yourself not acting like yourself or getting upset about something that isn't that big of a deal or even your interactions with your family or with your spouse or with your kids or with your coworkers is just different. Why? Because there's something that's affecting you on the inside. And it's kind of hard to put your finger on it, but it's in these moments, and this is certainly true for me. And so I would imagine it would be true for at least some of you. And you can't quite put your finger on it, but it just kind of feels like a disruption of something on the inside, a disruption of the inner life. It feels just like a disruption of your joy, a disruption of your peace. You know what it ultimately feels like, and you can't describe it, but you know when it's true, it's like a disruption to the well-being of your soul. All of it just starts to weigh down on you, and something just feels off, and a nap doesn't fix it. A really good Starbucks latte doesn't fix it. Like there's just something off on the inside. And I think in the craziness of all that we're about to step into in the next six weeks, I think the, the tension is there for all of us. And so what I wanna do for the next few minutes, I wanna look at something that the apostle Paul wrote um, to his friends of the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter five. And in that, we're gonna look at three verses this morning and he gives us three commands. And I believe that if we took these three commands to heart, what it would ultimately be is medicine for your soul and for mine. That as we head into this crazy season where you want to be at your best, where you want your family to be at your best, where you wanna soak up all the good, you want to see the good and you wanna work through all the things that are going on on the inside, what the Apostle Paul gives you and me is a step-by-step playbook. Things that we can implement today that I believe would be medicine for The soul. And even if you're not a Jesus follower, even if you're not sure what you do or don't believe about faith, that's okay, because I think there's something in this for you as well. So these three commands that the Apostle Paul gives us, we're going to jump into 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul writes this: Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Three commands. And what I find so fascinating is these three commands are three verses. You know, like the verse numbers that, you know, the authors that wrote the documents of the New Testament and the gospel writers that gave us the gospels and Paul that wrote these letters that are now documents that found their way into our New Testament. They never, they weren't responsible for like, this is verse one and this is verse two. Someone else did that. I honestly have no idea who did that. Uh, Very tedious work. But I still find it fascinating that each of these three commands, rejoice always, verse 16, Pray continually, verse 17. Give thanks in all circumstances, verse 18. So watch this. Today you can memorize three verses by memorizing six words. How cool is that? (laughs) Three commands that speaks to the inner life. Three commands that speaks to the inner life. And watch this, you know this, your inner life will always find its way to the outside. And so three things to anchor us, three things that we can do to find peace Enjoy and to get a hold of what's going on on the inside. So for a few minutes, I just wanna talk about each three and what they mean for you and for me. So rejoice always, the apostle Paul says. Rejoice always. Choose joy. That no matter what you're facing, no matter the circumstance, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you are navigating, the apostle Paul says, hey, here's a command. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to rejoice always. I want you to choose joy. Sounds like a super Christian answer. Sounds a lot easier said than done, but I wanna give you a delineation that I think could be helpful, is that joy is not the same as happiness. Joy is not the same as happiness. What the apostle Paul is not saying is, hey, if you're a Jesus follower, just smile through all the rough things that you're walking through. Just smile through the pain, smile through the difficulty, just fake it. He's not saying that we need to smile through it. No, 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 because the apostle Paul understood this, that happiness isn't something that you can just choose. It's an emotion that's felt based on the circumstances that are going around you, because that's what emotions are. Emotions are constantly changing. I wake up in a bad mood sometimes just because it's Tuesday, you know? And so he's not saying, hey, be happy about everything and just fake your way through everything. No, 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 he wants us to be our authentic selves. That's not a way to live life, is just to pretend like you're okay all the time. But joy isn't the same as happiness. Happiness, an emotion that's connected to what's going on around us, you can't really choose to be happy. Joy, though, is deeper. Joy is more than an emotion that you feel. It's a perspective that you have. Because joy, watch this, joy can do something that happiness can't. In fact, if you're taking notes, I think this is worth writing down. Joy can share space with other emotions. This is, this is really important. Joy can coexist. It can share space with other emotions. Happiness can't. Joy can share space with sadness. Joy can share space with fear. Joy can share space with anger and frustration. Joy can even share space with unhappiness. But happiness can't share space with any of those emotions. Joy can share space with all that. Why? Because joy is transcendent. Joy is transcendent of our circumstances. Joy can be experienced even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of grief, even in the midst of disappointment and uncertainty. In fact, that's what makes the Christian joy, joy, is that it is not rooted in the circumstances around us or our plans or our hopes or our dreams. The Christian joy is unique in that it is not rooted in a something, it is rooted in a someone, and that someone is Jesus. That for those of us that are Jesus followers, here's what we profess. And if you're not a Jesus follower, here's what we believe is true. That there was a savior who died and didn't stay dead. There was a savior that we follow, that we sing about, that we put our faith in, that stared death in the face and said, I win. And for you and for me, the reason why joy can be transcendent of our circumstances is because it is rooted in a savior that couldn't even be held down by death. And the reason why joy is more of a perspective than it is just a fleeting feeling is because of Jesus, we can take the whole of our lives and step back and put it on the storyline of the fact that Jesus rose from the grave, which means this world isn't our only hope. And this life isn't our only hope. And my hope and my dreams in this world isn't big enough or strong enough to hold the hope of my heart in my life. It's gotta be in something in someone bigger. And it was Jesus. The apostle Paul says himself, without the resurrection, the faith that we profess is futile. It's empty. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, man, we might as well pack up and go home and do brunch on Sundays. We can do it in my backyard. If Jesus didn't resurrect from the grave, we've got nothing to hold on to. But because we believe that he did, we can have joy no matter what we face. So ultimately, what is joy then? Joy is a deep-seated, quiet trust in our Heavenly Father. That no matter what we're feeling and no matter what our circumstances are making us feel, joy is a perspective that, okay, God is can be trusted. Is this going the way that I want it to? No, but it didn't go the way that Jesus necessarily wanted it to go either. Y'all remember, he asked God, he asked the heavenly father, hey, if, if I don't need to do this, I'd rather not. But he did it for you and he did it for me. That our joy is anchored in the hope that is found in Jesus, not in what we feel, but in what we know is true about God. So what do you need to feel? Man, feel whatever you need to feel. Whatever disappointment or frustration, whatever the feeling it is that's causing you, feel it. The apostle Paul is not telling you to feel it. No, no, be honest with what is going on on the inside. But for those that follow Jesus, that's not where we put our hope. That's not where the story ends for you and for me. We've got something to hold on to that is bigger. Let me just tell you, that kind of joy, that quiet, deep-seated trust that God is with us and that God is for us and that he will see us through, it's not loud, but it's contagious. It's not big and loud, but it's evident. People will notice. It'll change the way you live. It'll change the attitude with which you approach each day. And it'll even begin to change the interactions that you have with people because you are calming your soul and anchoring it to something big enough to be anchored to. So the apostle Paul says, rejoice always. Second, he says, pray continually. Pray continually continually. Now, real quick, this doesn't mean like 24-7. He doesn't mean like every minute of every day. If you don't, you're getting it wrong. He's certainly being hyperbolic here. Otherwise, we'd all be in trouble. There's no way, right? What he's really saying is make prayer a regular rhythm. Make prayer a regular rhythm. Pray continually in the sense that make it a regular rhythm, a part of the DNA of your life and of your faith. Walk. And whenever you and I make prayer a regular rhythm, there's a few things that happen. When you make prayer a regular rhythm in your life, you know what you start to do? You and I begin to cultivate a heart of dependency on God. Now let me speak again, just to the the people of faith. in If you're not a Jesus follower, you don't don't necessarily pray. Maybe you do, but you you don't have to. But if you're a Jesus follower for a second, we show up week in and week out and we sing about a God that's so big and we talk about a God that we can trust. We might go days or weeks without praying to that God. If I could step on some toes and give you a hug at the same time, there's a hypocrisy there, isn't there? I know for me, my tendency is just, I'm gonna take life on my own. I'm gonna figure it out on my own. I can do it. And then it's like, okay, yeah, let me, let me bring God into the equation. But when prayer is a regular rhythm, it's no longer just a last resort. It's the first stop. That if God is as big as we say that he is and sing and as big as say that he is and believe that he's as big as he is, then why wouldn't we? learn to lean in and to trust him. And so when prayer is a regular rhythm, we're developing a heart of dependency on a God that is for us and with us. When, when prayer becomes a regular rhythm, you know what else you do? You're creating space for God to speak to your heart. I don't mean audibly. If God speaks to you audibly, yeah, we got a whole nother conversation that you and I gotta have. But I don't mean audibly. But what I do mean is in those quiet moments when you slow down long enough and get away from all the crazy and all the busy, God will speak to your heart. He'll nudge your heart. He'll remind you of what is true. And he'll lead the way. And directly connected to that, when prayer is a regular rhythm, watch this, it becomes a daily exercise where we get to recenter our hearts and recalibrate our minds. It's like, you know, you know when the internet's going slow? What do you do? You, sometimes you call Comcast. But then what do you do? You, you just go unplug the router. Reset it, right? Isn't that so annoying when you call them like, did you reset the router? No, I decided to be on hold for 30 minutes before I tried that one troubleshoot, right? Um, You just reset the router because it's been functioning at such a high capacity. It just needs a hard reset to start working again at its proper capacity and pace. We're no different. We're running at a million miles an hour and when we create space to slow down long enough to connect with our heavenly father, you know what we're doing? We're allowing our soul to catch up to our bodies. We're creating just a little bit of space to recalibrate our minds and to recenter our hearts around what is true, what is important, that we run at a million miles an hour so fast that we even forget to stop to connect with the God that loves us. But in those moments when we can stop long enough to feel the breath go in and the breath go out, there's moments to recalibrate our minds and our hearts around what's true. And when prayer is a regular rhythm, this is so good for your soul, you ready? It creates opportunity for you to take inventory of your thoughts, identify the toxic ones and replace them with what's true. I literally, I, this is, I'm gonna let you guys into my brain. This is dangerous, okay? This is, this is what happens in these moments for me when I'm sitting down, I'm having my time with the Lord, usually in those few moments before the kids wake up, I'll take inventory of my thoughts. And, and you know that game at the arcade, the crane game that you never win, ever, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, stole all your money and still do, but you can't stop. There's something to that. The Toy Story thing, the claw, right? Y'all remember that for, for Toy Story? Okay. I literally imagine that in my brain. And this is what I do. This is one of the things that I exercise. When I'm I'm spending time with the Lord and and I'm I'm praying, I'm kind of having my moment where I'm meditating, whatever. I literally imagine a toxic thought that I know isn't true. And I'll imagine a claw coming in, taking it out of my brain, and then I replace it with what is true. Let me give you a really practical example with you I'll be vulnerable. Here's one, right? Sam, when I speak to myself in the third person, I always refer to myself as Sam. Um, I say, I really do ask my friends. I say, Sam. This is one of the toxic thoughts. You're only as good as your last sermon. Okay, that's not true. Even if it was a bad one, that's not true. And so I, I take it out and then I replace it with, your work doesn't define your value. I replace that, hey, okay, Sam, you, you spoke harshly to your wife. That means you're an awful person. Okay, replace that. Do better, but there's grace. Replace the toxic thought. When prayer becomes a regular rhythm, it creates space for us to replace the toxic, the unhelpful ways of thinking that snowball into our minds and ruin a day and create unrest in the soul. And it gives God a chance to replace it with what's true. Pray continually. And then, third, give thanks. I almost did a whole message just on gratitude. I was like, ah, Paul said three things, so I'll do all three. <laughs> but give thanks. This is a big one. This isn't just like naive optimism. And especially if you're, if you're not a Jesus follower, this one is especially good because you don't really need any faith to be good at this. And you don't need any faith for this to be helpful for You. There's scientific studies on the power of gratitude, totally disconnected from faith about how good it is for you and your mental health and your brain and your capacity. But this is just naive optimism. No, no, no. This is you and I shifting our perspective to understand that no matter what we are facing, if we discern long enough, there is cause to give thanks. Because you know what gratitude is? Gratitude is the thing that turns the tide. Gratitude is the thing that turns the tide. What do I mean by that? This is what I mean. Ready? Gratitude turns envy into contentment. Gratitude turns envy into contentment. Ready? Come on. You guys know this, but we forget this. When you are keenly aware of what you have been given, you're a lot less focused on what you haven't been given. When you are keenly aware and grateful for what you do have, and for what your life is and what it does look like, you're a lot less concerned with everybody else's. When you find those little things to be grateful for, they become a lot bigger than the seemingly bigger things that took your attention away from what you have. That gratitude, watch this, it'll kill your appetite for more. And I don't mean like ambition, I mean like that more that keeps you from contentment, that more that drives you in an unhealthy way. An attitude of gratitude, I'm telling you, it'll kill that appetite in you and, me, and it'll allow you to see the good that you and I so easily overlook. Turns envy into contentment. I love this one. Gratitude turns I have to into I get to. That for you and for me, every single day, there are things that we have to do. There are things at home, things at work, and it feels like I have to. It's a drag. I don't want to do this. It's such a burden. But so many of those things, if we chose to see them in the right perspective and chose gratitude, it'd move us from I have to, to I get to. Gratitude is the perspective shifter. Gratitude is a posture changer. Gratitude is a purpose magnifier. It shifts our perspective, right? Can I just like, here, here's a really simple one from, from my current season of life. I have to give the kids a bath tonight. God, three days, yeah, it's time. But if I choose to be grateful that I get some extra time with my kids after a long day at work, then I'm reminded, man, there's gonna be years down the road where I would do anything to come back to this moment. Gratitude takes me from the I have to to I get to. It's a perspective changer. It's a posture changer. Some of you guys, you, you lead a, a middle school small group at 9 a.m. and this morning you were like, oh, Sixth graders. I think I'm good today. I don't think they need me. But man, when when you choose to be grateful for the opportunity to be for them what nobody was for you, changes the posture. And it's no longer I have to, it's a I get to. It's a purpose magnifier. For some of you. When you're a teacher in your class, it's like, man, this is the hardest class I have ever had. But there's purpose because you get to love on your kids even if you never get to tell them why. That it's a purpose magnifier. For some of you, you're in a job and it's like, Sam, there is nothing I get to about my job. I'm telling you, it's the worst job ever. Okay, I bet you there's some people you work with. Maybe that I get to has nothing to do with your job, but it has everything to do with your influence, with the people, with the person in the cubicle right next to you. Gratitude for influence, man, that moves you from I have to to I get to. Gratitude turns apathy into intentionality. Man, watch this. this is, when something becomes normal, we just grow less grateful. Isn't that so true? It bugs me that I do this. Like the things that are the most normal, I start to become a lot less grateful. It should never be normal. that that I have a job. It should never be normal that I get to drive a car. It should never be normal that I have kids. It should never be normal that I can go to Chick-fil-A and get a number one just because I feel like it. There are so many things for every single person in this room that are just so normal. We just choose not to be grateful. And then you know when that happens, you know what starts to be birthed in my heart and maybe for you too? Then entitlement starts to grow and there is nothing more gross than entitlement. When something becomes more normal, don't let it become normal. Be grateful with the things that are normal. I'm telling you, it's going to change the way that you see it, the way you engage with it and your attitude towards it. This is a big one. Ready? Gratitude turns absence into presence. This is a big one. This is one that I struggle with. Whenever you choose to be grateful with what is right in front of you, you can be present in that moment. But if we fail to do so, we overlook what's right in front of us because we're wishing we were somewhere else. That so many of us miss the season that we're in because we're so concerned about the season we hope is coming. We miss the opportunity in front of us because we're already hoping and wishing for something different. We're missing the opportunities and the intentionality and the things that we have right in front of us to be grateful for because we're overlooking it because we wish Life was different. It's impossible to be present in the moment if you're already wishing it was different. So when you and I choose to be grateful for those little micro moments during the day, the little things that are so easy to overlook, it's gonna allow you to be present in the moment rather than wishing that something was different. And if you're not a Jesus follower, all four of those things can be applied to your life today. And I'm telling you, it's gonna help the health of your soul. But if you are a Jesus follower, I've got one more. And it's this, gratitude turns fear into faith. Gratitude turns fear into faith. Whenever you and I slow down long enough to be grateful for what God has done in the past, it'll give us the faith that he remains with us in the future. That when we are walking through something difficult and we remember how God brought us through, even though he didn't change the circumstance, he got us through. When we remember all that God has done in our past, when we're grateful for where he's brought us from, when we see his hand along the way, watch this. Suddenly that fear that we're feeling turns into faith because we're reminded he did it once, he can do it again. Gratitude turns the tide. It turns faith, fear, into faith. So the Apostle Paul says, Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is God's desire for you, medicine for the soul. To choose joy in the midst of what you're facing, choose to trust. Pray continually and give thanks. Now, there's two things that I want you to, to, to do with this, and then we're gonna create some space. We're gonna sing one more song together to give you space to process this a little bit. But the first, I want you to consider memorizing this verse. One, because it's so easy. It's so easy. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks. Boom, three verses. It's not even 12 o'clock yet. Come on, people. Three, six words. Six words. Rejoice always. Remember, rejoice always. Pray continually. Give Thanks. And then, this is the second thing that I want you to do, okay? I want to challenge you to do this every single day, this week, just this week, just this week. You can even, five days, fine, take the weekend off, that's fine, just this week, okay? I want you to try this. I'm calling it the one, two, three challenge, because I couldn't think of any other name, okay? But this is, <laughs> but if you stick with me, it's going to make sense, I promise, okay? But I want you to try this, and I want you to do this every day, just for, just for this week, just try it. And here's the one, two, three challenge, you Ready? One, identify one thing threatening to steal your joy. Just one thing. What is that one thing that you're navigating? What is that one circumstance that you're going through? What is that one thing that's just kind of been there and it's been a problem and you just kind of can't get past it? What is that one thing that is threatening to steal your joy? I want you to identify it. I want you to write it down because it can't steal your joy unless you let it. Because the joy that we hold on to is not connected to what's going on around us. It's directly connected to the one that is promised to be with us. So I want you to identify that one thing that's threatening to steal your joy. And then I want you to put it in the perspective of the resurrection. And that there's a God that is promised to be with you and for you. One thing that's threatening to steal your joy. Two, I want you to write down two things that you'll pray for every day. Just two things, like, well, what, what have you got going on? What's a struggle that you've had? What's a fear that you've had? What's causing you stress and anxiety? What's that thing with your family? What's that tension, that drama that you're trying to work through? What discontentment have you been feeling and you need to just kind of get it out there? Where do you need to recalibrate? Where do you need to recenter? What toxic thought do you need to just get out there and pray about? I want you to identify two things that you'll pray for every day. And then three, I want you to write down three things that you're grateful for three things that you're grateful for three things that you're so quick to overlook three things that will go from apathy to intentionality three things that will help you move from. I have to, to I get to three things that will require to be present in the moment and make sure you don't miss something that you will regret having missed one, two, three. I told you it would make sense. One thing that is threatening to steal your joy two things that you'll pray for every day and three things that you are grateful for. And you know what I want you to do? I want you to actually, this is crazy, write it on a piece of paper. Yeah, come on. You still have any, you got paper, pen? You can find one somewhere. We'll hand it out on the way out. We've got paper here somewhere. Write it down just for a week. Okay, you can use your notes on your app if you want. But, but 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 just write it down. I want you to physically, I just want you to physically see it. I want it to tangibly make its way out of your mind and out of your heart. And I want you to see it. You know, they say you're more likely to accomplish your goals if you write them down. There's something about it becoming concrete that becomes real. So this week, I want to challenge you. One, two, three. And as you do, watch this, this is something that you practice. And if you've never done anything like this before, it might feel a little bit awkward at first. Like, what am I supposed to do in this moment? Your prayer doesn't have to be long. Okay, God, this is what I got. And if you've never prayed before, I don't know, try it. What's the worst that can go wrong? Really nothing, honestly. Give it a go, give it a go. But three things, as you do, as you begin to build this into your then watch this. It's gonna start to speak to your soul. That that, that hurry, the, the discontent, that you just kind of feeling like you're a little off, it'll be medicine for the soul. It's gonna cause you to be at your best for your sake. But then for the sake of those that you love the most, for the sake of those that you're gonna spend the next six weeks with, for the sake of the people that you work with, you'll be at your best. And I'm just here to tell you, I don't know what your thought of God is, but there's a heavenly father that wants you at your best. He doesn't want your soul to be discontent. He doesn't want your soul to be tired. He doesn't want your soul to be discouraged. He doesn't want your soul to be afraid. He doesn't want your inner life to be void of peace and joy. No, no, he's done everything he can for us to experience it, no matter what we face. So now the ball's in your court and it's in mine. And I think this challenge is a great first step. One, two, three. What's threatening to steal the joy? Two things to pray for every day. And three things that you're grateful for. In just a second, I'm gonna pray and we're gonna sing one more song and give you space to think about maybe even these three questions. But no matter what you're going through, there's a lot of us where this is what you're facing right now. That's what it feels like. Disappointed, frustrated. Just want it to be different but can I just encourage you today that there's medicine for the soul? And if we were to take Paul's words seriously, I'm telling you, we could be looking at this. Because no matter what you are going through, I'm just here to tell you, there's a heavenly father that loves you. There's a heavenly father that is for you. There's a heavenly father that's done everything to have relationship with you. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, would you give us eyes to see things differently? Would you, would you give us eyes to see the good even in the midst of some bad? Would you give us the perspective to see the good that you've blessed us with? Would you give us eyes to see the things that we should be grateful for, the things that we're constantly overlooking? Would you give us the courage to confront that thing that is threatening to steal our joy? Would you give us the courage to pray honest prayers to you? And Father, would you begin to shift the hearts and the perspectives of everybody in this room to a place where we might trust you just a little bit more today than we did before we walked in? Father, I pray that as we pray and give thanks and learn to choose joy, that you begin to change us from the end side out. That our soul would find rest in what is true about you. That our soul would find rest in the fact that you're with us, for us, and that you love us as we do our best to figure out how to navigate life along the way. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.